This is episode number 161 of the Rising Man podcast with Sean Barry. It's time to answer the wild call of your soul. Welcome back, Rising Man fam, and thank you for joining me today. Jetty Azuma here saying good morning to you, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you for being here. Before we get into today's episode, I am pleased and excited to announce the relaunch of our Elements program, a three-day wilderness immersion taking a team of men out onto the wild landscape, tapping into our basic instincts and challenging ourselves to see what we're made of when we face off with the unknown. We are relaunching this after having not done it for the past two years, and I'm really excited for what we're bringing. It's what we're going to talk about a lot on this episode today, but in the meantime, you can go check it out at risingman.org slash elements. It's going to be March 5th through 7th, so go ahead and get yourself registered today. There are limited seats, and we're looking so forward to seeing what kind of team we can put together for this first outing, so go check it out. All right, without further ado, my guest for today is somebody whose name you guys might recognize, Mr. Sean Barry, coming back for his third appearance on the podcast. Sean moved to LA and got into the biz as a motion graphics artist. He first experienced his vision fast about 20 years ago. And ever since then, he's served as a wilderness guide, leading men on vision fast, studying sustainable living practices and wilderness skills, and bringing people into closer relationship with nature. Sean is a lead guide for Compass and currently is developing our nature connection programming within Rising Man. In this episode, Sean and I discuss the wild nature of man and why we have strayed so far away from it. Sean offered a powerful perspective on men's history, man's history with attempting to conquer nature and what building a relationship with nature instead of trying to defeat it can provide us. We spoke about the timeline of the human species and why we are closer to our wild roots than we think and how we can activate our ancestral DNA by going back into nature. Lastly, we both shared our vision of gathering men together to reconnect with our natural environment and the wildness within us all. Without further ado, Sean Berry. All right, here we are again, Rising Man Tribe. I've got my very, very dear brother, Sean Berry here. We're sitting just a few feet across from each other here in Rising Man HQ on our beautiful land up here in the Soquel Mountains that Sean has just moved to. And Sean's been on the show before. I don't know if you guys have heard him or listened to those episodes, but it's just, it's great to have you here, man, and to be able to stare you right in the eyes from across the room as we have these conversations. Yeah. Thanks, Jetty. It's, it's really great to be up here and to be on this landscape and be, you know, building the foundations of what community can be like with the families that are here and all the opportunities. Yeah. And so to be here on this day where it's absolutely dumping rain right outside our window, this topic of man's relationship with his natural environment. I know that it's something that we've talked about in our dialogues before and something that we talk about often off the mic, just how important it is to us as individuals, as men, to have that strong relationship with nature, how it it beckons us forth and to be in a landscape like we are in now, just noticing, I'm noticing the differences in myself. We were talking about it the other day, how we can be in here and recording podcasts and working on projects and get that really instant and simple reset of just walking outside and looking around, gazing into the forest, going for a brisk walk in the trees for 20 minutes that most people don't have as an option or don't have that as available to them. So what's that experience been like for you? Because you've been here for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, a couple of weeks. It's been raining for about a third of that time. Yeah, I mean, it's been great for me because I've considered myself someone who gets out in nature a lot and has cultivated a relationship with nature a lot. That's part of how I would identify myself, but there's always deeper levels to go. And just since I've been here, you know, where I was living in the past or pretty much anywhere else, you know, if I forgot something in my car, for instance, I would just step out the door and just grab it because my car is right there. But now my car right now is like a 40 yard walk up a muddy incline. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so the other day, uh, like the first, at least the first five days here, I, you know, I was just leaving things around because I was just discombobulated and I was wearing myself out just walking around the property, just walking through the space, up and down hills, uneven ground, cold weather, you know, rainy weather. 
And just that has a complete and total effect on my sense of who I am. Just to put this in perspective, I know people have heard me talk about where I live. And since we moved up here, I guess seven months ago, we live on 10 acres in the mountains and we're, I call it country couture because we're, <laughs> we're off grid in the sense that we're not connected to the gas grid and we do have high speed internet, but a lot of the normal amenities that I know I've been accustomed to my whole life are just, it, it's different. So I know in my first couple of weeks here, I was doing the same things. I was getting a much more of a workout just from walking back and forth to different places, up and down hills and all over different landscapes because I was not used to having to think about and have the awareness of where I place things. So something like that, even just something that simple, the time that's needed to just slow down for a moment, because it actually saves me time if I just pause, breathe, think about what I'm doing and what I need, taking the extra three to five minutes to gather what I need than to do five trips back and forth up and down a muddy hill because I forgot something because I was moving too fast. And just that alone is something that I think is so beneficial. I know it's been beneficial to me. I imagine what that would do for so many other people out there who are still tapped in and accelerating their lives instead of slowing them down. Yeah, I think it's a, a big gray zone of awareness and just who we are as people, who I am as an individual, who any of us are as an individual. You know, even on my even on my regular days, I I don't always get out in nature the way I want to. You know, a lot of times I check the temperature and it looks like I need a jacket. You know, and then I jump in my car and it takes a minute for it to get warm. And then I get to the coffee shop or to the store or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not really outside, you know, much. And so, to, you know, just to use this land as an example, you now, you know, and I'm living in a yurt, which is still slightly under development. So it doesn't have all the uh, accoutrements that would make living comfortable. I'm not just thinking about like, oh, it's cold out. I should get a jacket. I'm thinking about it's cold out and it's muddy. And which way do I, you know, I need to look out the window to kind of see what the rain has done the last few days to figure out which is going to be the best line to walk up to get and not turn my shoes into a wreck. Do I need my rain jacket and a sweater underneath? How long am I going to be up to high? Like, you know, I'm taking in so much of the environmental information that's just outside my door more than I ever have, you know, say living in a, an apartment or a house where you're kind of in a suburb or just nearby a town. So that's alone has just really expanded my awareness of nature more than ways that I had thought of. Yeah. And there's definitely two sides to the coin. There's the part of it that there's obvious benefit, just raising our awareness, raising our presence and our ability to be in relationship with our landscape and our environment, but then also the effort that that takes <laughs> and the inevitable frustrations of, uh, I, I know like we, we've just had like seven days of rain and I know I, I've been thinking to myself, man, I wish my backyard wasn't just a muddy pool back when I, like when I was living in the suburbs, I never thought about that because the, the drainage system was set up and it's been going that way for probably a century. It's been working just fine. And here we are and we're, we're building it from scratch. So in some ways we're setting ourselves back a little bit to have access to that awareness that is, you know, was common. Like we were talking about before we started recording to our ancestors, that was just the way of life. Not that long ago when we really put it in perspective, there's always an exchange of things to, to have access to this. We also have to be in agreement to take a little more time to slow down a little bit, to be in the bumpy process of shifting our coherence and calibrating my time and my sense of where I am to a different different level, different meter. Yeah. And in the case with the backyard, it's it's really acknowledging and becoming in tune and aware with realizing that if you want your backyard difference, it's going to fall on you. Like there's a direct call to get engaged with the land with your own bare hands. I mean, you could hire somebody to come up here and do a bunch of work and stuff, but that's not why you came out to live on property. And so even that, just that call to have some kind of base relationship back to nature, whether it's, you know, just contending with the elements and how it makes you feel or deciding how you're going to like do your backyard different, you know, it's, it's, it's going to come down to the physical energy you possess in your body to contribute that directly to the land. And then the whole reason we're talking about this is because if we take an overview and analysis of modern men, just focusing on modern men in a more Western society, more modern society, first world living, it's pretty apparent that most guys, the, definitely the healthy majority, don't have a very strong relationship with nature, especially when we compare it to what all of our ancestors had a few thousand years ago, even just a few hundred years ago. 
and obviously beyond that too. So I'm so happy to be able to unleash some of your wisdom because I know you've thought on this for a long time and you really are passionate about nature connection and the power of having a relationship with the wilderness and the wild and what that can do for any human being, not seeing ourselves as separate from it. So take us on a journey in your analysis of where modern man is at and what we could be doing moving forward from here. Yeah, let's do that. I really do like to think about the relationships of time that we've been on this planet. And for me, that inspiration always begins first with just the fact that, you know, hello, we're on a planet. Like we're walking around on the surface of a planet that's just spinning out in space. And, you know, when the sun comes out and warms up the earth, that's just a star. That's another, not just a star, that's a star like the millions of other stars we see in the sky at night. It's another one of those stars. It's just that we're so close to it, we can literally feel the heat coming off it from its combustion. And astronomers have found thousands of what they call exoplanets, you know, and I don't know what feed you're on or not, but lately there's been a lot of activity in astronomy and they're finding, you know, all these exoplanets, Earth-like planets as far as size, shape, and distance from a sun, thousands of them. I think last time I checked, there was like 4,500 different exoplanets they've identified that are circling around some kind of sun-like star. And none of them have anything even remotely close, like nothing. They're just like lumps of rock or hot gas. Nothing even close to what this planet has. And that to me is, that alone is just incredulous. And I really just sit and think about like, how in the heck did life happen on this planet? It's really a miracle. And then, you know, going through the, you know, I mean, if you're into evolution, there are other opinions out there. I'll just say that caveat. So this is just my opinion, but someone who subscribes to evolution, the magnificence of what it took for over the millions, millions of years. And it's hard to wrap our minds around millions of years. I think it takes 11, if you count a second, a digit every second, like one, two, three seconds wise, it takes you 11 days to count to a million. So each of those being a year, millions of years for us to arrive as Homo sapien walking around on this planet is to me just mind blowing. And that, yeah, only 15,000 years ago is when we started actually farming and harvesting our own food. It's only been about 250 years, roughly, that we've had electricity. Only 50 years since we had computers and sent something off this planet, you know? Now we have satellites outside of our solar system. We've sent things made by people outside of the solar system. So that last, you know, a couple hundred years is an extremely, extremely different way of living than we've lived for like literally millions of years. Every time you start crunching numbers and really looking at it from that scale, I think scale is really important when it comes to history and appreciation of what we have here. One of the things that I even find myself guilty of is just not being grateful for the amenities that we do have. How easy life is on this planet for many of us at this point. We've done a really good job at making life efficient and easy for ourselves, which I believe has also come with some very obvious consequences. There's the expectation of ease in life at this point, because I know I experienced that myself. I think that's one of the major suffering points for lots of men is the circumstances of our living and the way in which we guarantee a tomorrow for ourselves has made it so that we just expect it's going to be there. We expect the sun to rise tomorrow. We expect the stock market to fluctuate, but generally be good. We expect that there's going to be food at the grocery stores and water coming out of our faucets and the lights are going to go on when we flip a switch. It's expectations that really are not guaranteed. If there's anything we've learned in the past year, it's that it's not as stable as we think it is. In just a week, we saw the entire global economy shut down. And we're still, probably for generations, will feel the ripples of what that caused, at least for several years. So I always appreciate the scale when we start talking about this, just how incredible that is. It kind of blows my mind and makes me not want to think about it anymore. So where I usually shift to from that is, well, what are we missing? What's available to us? I know I one of the things I think a lot of guys could also relate to is you watch one of those shows or movies of a guy running through the forest with a tomahawk on his hip and a bow and arrow, getting ready to pull down an elk and feed his family for the winter and going back home and seeing his kids around a fire. It evokes something in me. And I know it does in other men because we've spoken to it before. We've seen it before. How do you bridge the gap between modern man and that part of us that's rumbling somewhere in our DNA that wants more of this kind of life? Yeah, 
Well, the way I do it is probably border on fringe. But I mean, my ideal goal, I don't know if I'll get there because I really don't know if I can deprogram from all my expectations and comforts that I've, you know, in my communities that have become dependent, you know, or willing to be dependent on those things. I want to, I desire that I want to, but I run into it every day where it's either too hard or too scary or too difficult or literally too expensive, if you can imagine that, to not be plugged in. And there's a big time cost, a big physical energy cost, and I, I flinch so much. But the reason why I desire it is because the times that I have been that fully engaged in interacting in nature, either just with my five senses or physically doing something or sometimes just sitting. And we've all probably had some kind of experience where we were just sitting by ourselves in a beautiful place in nature, watching the sun come up or the sun go down or just the clouds pass by. And there's something that is indelibly comforting and fulfilling and contented about that space. And to me, that is like, okay, if I can have that sense of fulfillment and contentment, just sitting on the ground watching something move through the sky or watching an ocean or just watching the trees, you know, why am I determined to find in all these other things beyond that? So that's a question I'm always asking myself because there's always some new thing to buy. There's always some new app to get. There's always some new thing that's making my life supposedly easier, more, you know, efficient, but I keep catching myself and going, will it really? And, and creating a dependency on those things. Then, you know, it's just that much more time and work to track back to those spaces where I'm completely content and fulfilled just being in nature sometimes. Yeah. The thought that just came to my mind is that they've scientifically speaking and technologically speaking, we have gotten so good at diagnosing the brain and its behavior it's like we almost have outthought the brain. <laughs> we, we know how to manipulate people's consumer behaviors and hormone level. It, it, science is just crazy right now. It's popping off, especially when you think on, again, timescale compared to a couple hundred years ago. We can completely manipulate the human organism scientifically, starting with the brain and what the brain desires and what the brain, where the brain goes to get what it needs to establish survival for ourselves, for this body. But the part that I don't think we've outthought yet is our DNA. The way I think of DNA is this journal that's been passed on from my parents, from their parents, from their parents, from their parents, from their parents. It's like when you go to an Airbnb and someone leaves that guest book there and, and there's a few notes or something, you know, that someone left back. I just think of DNA like that, that I know that they're, they're also doing DNA modification, which is kind of scary. But the thing I see, and you and I both have spoken to this about when we take people out of their conditioned environment and into a natural environment, how things just light up. Problem-solving abilities, critical thinking. Guys, I don't know where I learned this from, but suddenly I know how to you know, fashion a tool for myself out here just because I'm here in the trees. Or tie a good knot. Or, yeah, right? <laughs> so many of those examples of our DNA getting turned on when we're out there. So here's where I've gotten to with it because I agree with you, man. I I'm 33 years old today. And I also see that there's parts of me that I don't know if I can condition my way out of, or I don't know if the combination of factors will allow me to do that completely the way I imagine. Cause when I was in my twenties, I used to think, Oh yeah, I'll just go live off the land and do it the way my ancestors used to. And there's part of me that still desires that, but that's like a very far swing in the other direction. So lately I've been looking more for, well, what is the first few steps? And here we are, right? You were just out there digging trenches to divert water away from your yurt yesterday. It's like the first initial steps. So if we zoom out of just you and I, and we just look at what's available to men who are just like us, what do you think are some of the first steps to reconditioning that relationship? Yeah, good question. Well, I can only speak from my own experience, but... I think one big step that was really important for me was, and this, I think part of it is just, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's, it's already happening that you just, there's some drive or some interest or some desire that's just self-generated. It's not like you said to yourself this morning, I'm going to wake up and have a desire to be connected to nature. You know, it, it's just coming up, it's coming up. And we have things like that come up all the time, whether it's, you know, career ambition or relationship ambitions or whatever, but there's also, you know, just sense of ambition, curiosity, desire that comes up. 
And for me, when it started happening for nature, fortunately, you know, certain things entered my awareness sphere that I said yes to. So if you're anything like me, it's like I have interests and desires and curiosities come up all the time. And I follow like 5% of them. You know, I just don't have, I just don't make the time to really dig into it. And then it goes away and it may not come back for a while. The nature one kind of kept coming back and just my own experiences of, I grew up in the, in the country on a small farm. So I had a lot of that kind of already in my system that I just gotten away from for many, many years living in the big city and trying to do big city things. But I guess to answer the question, the first thing really is like, if you have that kind of curiosity, desire, interest, it's acting on it. It's just taking that first step. And that first step can be so easy. It literally can be like listening to the rest of this podcast, going to the nearest window or door if you can, and just looking, just acknowledging that nature is there all the time. It's everywhere. There's grass probably growing out of the crack in the sidewalk right outside your front door, you know, and just tuning into that one blade of grass and just going like, whoa, it's grass growing on this planet. You know, like that's crazy. You know, it's just, it's just trying to find some way to act on that interest and desire is I think the first step. And I, I actually like starting with awe, <laughs> like what you were talking about before about, oh my God, we're on this planet that's circulating a star. I love starting in that place. I think it's actually a really good one. And, you know, we talk about the four basic elements, right? We talk about water, earth, air, fire. And I've spoken with people about this before and said, it's not that you, whether or not you have a relationship with these basic foundational elements of life, it's, are you conscious of it? Are you aware of it? What does that relationship look like? We all drink water. No human is alive without drinking water on this planet. We're all part water, largely. We all use fire to cook food <laughs> or, or heat ourselves, at least in some capacity. We all live on the earth and from the materials that come from the earth and we all breathe air. All of these things that we're in relationship all the time. So even just to start in that place of awe and catch yourself in a moment of breath, right? Breath is so big right now. Breath work everywhere because people are just taking a moment to appreciate, wow, this is happening all the time, whether I know it or not. And when I pay attention to it, it means something more to me. When you eat your food, just being grateful for the food, taking a moment to pause before you eat it and just think about where it came from. We talk about doing a blessing at the dinner table. I remember when I was growing up in a very Christian environment, we always said the same blessing, right? My grandfather always said the same blessing or someone said it. And I remember when I first started thinking about why I was actually grateful for the food before me and just tracking, well, this food came from the grocery store. And before it got to the grocery store, it was probably on a truck and someone used their hands and put it on a truck. And then the people who did that, there's other people who took it out of the fields and you just trace it back. And all of a sudden it's, wow, I'm in relationship with a lot of people just to have my food. So I think that's just a great place to start. It's just the awe of it. You know, whenever you light up your stove, just think about what it takes to have that fire. How a couple, you know, seven generations ago, your, your family couldn't just do that. They were rubbing sticks together or some other, you know, taking a flint and lighting up a fire that way. Because I know for me, that establishes just a, an incredible depth of gratitude and humility too. How fortunate are we that we have this available to us? Clean water coming out of our faucets. It's incredible. It is incredible. And I think for me, a lot of the disinterest or dissonance or just kind of displeasure with the modern life that I run into when I, I can be surrounded by all the conveniences and stuff and still have sort of this languid, like disinterest. But the truth of it is all those things, cell phones, laptops, your car, the jets we fly in. I mean, literally everything is made from earth, air, fire, and water, like everything. I've probably said this in the other podcast. I like to say it a lot because it's worth remembering that nothing, nothing that we use in the world fell out of the sky intact from someplace in outer space. Somebody literally dug up a handful of dirt and figured it out. Except for those really trendy asteroid stone necklaces that people are wearing nowadays. <laughs> that might have fallen out of the sky. <laughs> but you still have to make the chain from the earth to yeah. hang around your neck. So. <laughs> You know, just to me getting into the, the fascination of like, how is it that only there's only, I mean, Chinese say that the fifth element is wood and you can get some other ideas on there being more than four elements, but essentially there's four and that everything we interact with and consume and build is made from those four elements in some way, or they had some part in making it. And to me, it's, it's like really trying to, to find the appreciation and the gratitude. And again, the, the amazement of like how and sharing that amazement with ourselves, like no other species has done this. 
no other species transforms the materials of the planet the way that we do. And, and look at what we've done with it. I mean, we've made some magnificent, amazing shit, you know? And so I don't want to diminish that our technology and intellect that allows us to do all the things we're doing is something to be stymied or, you know, talked badly about. But I do feel like somehow, for me anyways, it's often left field somehow. And I think we can see that with just, you know, more and more the climate change. I don't think there's, you know, there's not very many climate change deniers out there anymore. It's pretty clear that we're having an effect. And... Wow. Like, how did that happen? Because that's literally like, I mean, we're talking industrial revolution days. That's not very long. That's like, we've done this much. We've had this much effect on the planet in just like a hundred and some years. Well, and that's a great pivot to this other topic that I really appreciate your perspective on this contrast between having a relationship and a connection an integrated connection with nature versus conquering nature. And I think there's so much that man has taken on his mission to conquer nature. I use even in things that seem relatively benign on the surface, but like creating a tent that will, the, the way they market it is like protect yourself from the elements, right? Versus a relationship where we're integrated with it, woven into it instead of separate from. And some of those direct and even more subtle messages, I think have really shaped our idea of what being in relationship with nature is that it's, I got to climb the highest mountain. I've got to you know, slay the dragon, whatever that version of conquering is that has really made it so that nature's not really an inviting place to be. And yes, nature is unforgiving at times. It's violent, it's tumultuous, but it's also a part of us too. So I love your perspective on it. I just want you to speak to that whole contrast and dynamic. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because you can kind of trace a lot of that conquering mindset back to the European mindset, you know, that's largely came out of that place. And I'm still kind of reading books and researching here and there to try to understand how, you know, how did that happen? I mean, you can even go back as far as the Egyptians, even they're the ones who started really building like massive monuments and slaves and, and just really kind of taking a left turn from the way we had been doing it. And then you can still find indigenous peoples around the world today. It's like the Aborigines in Australia. There's still tribes in Africa and South America elsewhere who are still living the way they've been living for 40,000 years or more unaffected. They're getting affected because a lot of the, you know, first world mindset is encroaching on their space, but I'm fascinated with that. What is the appeal of the way that sort of the, the first world's European mindset has looked at nature compared to the way that these other indigenous cultures that are still intact do. And to me, it really comes down to there's, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak to the, the inkling of it, but as far as how it shows up for me, you know, you can watch shows like Survivor or Bear, Bear Grylls. I forgot what his show is called and all the other shows that have that kind of dropping some. I think there is one where they drop you in there naked with one tool, you know, and it's just like, I mean, hey, that's fun to watch. And it's amazing to see the ingenuity and creativity that people come up with. But yeah, where's the relationship, you know, and... I don't want to talk bad about people and production companies and people who have great ideas, but I just feel like it's, it's sort of fomenting a mindset that really isn't serving us. You know, the, the people who do those shows, they're doing it for money. And also to prove something. And to prove something that they're, you know, there's some ego wrapped in there with, I did it and you didn't because people get booted off the island or whatever, you know? And, and I just feel like that is not the way any of our people's, you know, I mean, we definitely went up, you know, and encroaching in other people's territories. And there's lots of, not to say that indigenous cultures were like the higher beings, because there's a lot of vicious brutality, you know, in all those cultures too. But there also was some really beautiful understanding that the human was no higher or lower than any other life form or object out on this planet. We're just another thing. And you can find this, especially a lot of Native American culture, you know, they speak about the brothers and sisters, other nations, referring to the animals, the plants, the rocks. And there is this sense of you, we survive because these things are in relationship with us, because they give us our gifts. And to me, that's just a projection of our imagination, our capacity is a great gift of our species because we get to choose to do that or choose not to do that. You know, and it's like, if I go harvest wood to burn in my wood burner, like I want to feel, I want to have my experience of that. I want it to feel 
as across as many different parts of myself that I can feel. You know, it's one thing to go down to the, the local wood shop and fill up my wood my truck and, with wood and dump it in a pile and burn it to stay warm. I'm just preoccupied with like I need to stay warm. But as far as being a fully fledged, feeling, expanded human, oh my gosh, all the pieces in between there of like, what if I actually went out with a, that's, you know, there's actually a guy on YouTube who does this, who makes his own stone tools and then goes out and does more productivity is amazing. But if I just took the ax and went down and felled my own tree, and then hand sawed that tree and then split the wood and then had to wait for the wood to dry and then stack the wood, all those steps and all the opportunities there to be in relationship with everything, to know that that tree was alive. That tree was alive. And I took its life just as much as I take the life of the hamburger I buy at the store, you know? And to me, like, why, why not dive into that rich capacity of humanity that goes beyond being human? Yeah. Uh, wow. So much great stuff in there to unpack. The couple things that came to my mind was, it seems like a lot of people would agree that we're trending towards higher consciousness as humans. I mean, even if there's certainly scientific ways of looking at that, but even just in what we're capable of, we're definitely moving in a direction. We're progressing depending on how you measure that, how you analyze that. But I would argue that the real evolution for us to going further is not further complexity of technology that makes life easier for us, but it's the quality of the relationships that we have, including with nature, but also the relationships we have with ourselves. The reason why guys would even stop to listen to a podcast like this is because there's a whole generation of us who are investigating what it feels like on the inside, where that was not valued for previous generations. And we're thinking about the relationships we have at home with our partners and with our children. And we're starting to think about the future again. And so when we go back to what you were saying about the kind of relationship we have, you were talking about indigenous peoples and other ancient peoples who survived because of the relationships they had with nature, not in spite of. And so I think of these, even just adventurers, and I'm not demonizing or criticizing anyone here, but even just thinking of some of the rock climbers, like the guys who free climb El Cap or free solo El Cap. And it has that element of conquering that I did that. And I think about the results even if it's just a hike, even if you just went and hiked a really high peak, that feeling that you get at the end of it when you're trying to do something in spite of nature versus in relationship with it, the feeling on the other end of it is, well, what's next? Versus, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you for everything that supported me getting up here. And that to me is the crux. That is the the nature of the problem. And we're, when that European manifest destiny, the grass is always greener mindset rolls into even those seemingly subtle or mundane things that that's where we get to reprogram. That's really going to catapult us into a, if we want to survive on this planet, if we want to have this ideal future of humans back in relationship with the planet instead of separate from or surviving in spite of it. Yeah. Great stuff. As you're talking, I was thinking about, yeah, two things are coming up to me. Well, bookmark one about ancestry backslash DNA. I want to come back to that. But the thing that I wanted to say right now, what you were talking about was that, yeah, you, you know, we're so destination oriented, right? And when we're more and more living in an instant gratification world, things have to be instant. We want that hit. We want that hit as soon as we can get it. You know, and so, yeah, why do we want that hit? Isn't the moments in between the hit enough? Apparently not. You know, like our ancestors didn't go climb mountains for the hell of it. They didn't need to. They were getting a hit just from living close to nature. You know, like to me, I, it's just my imagination, but I would assume that if you were living off the land the way our ancestors did with, you know, clothing you got from animals and all your tools are primitive and you're a semi-nomadic hunter-gatherer and you lived to be 35, 40, you were an old person. And that was, a, I mean, that was the ultimate hit. Like you fucking made it. You made, and all, you know, I was thinking about Braveheart the other day and just the nature of battle. Like, you know, imagine that every day you would get up and you'd be contending with your mortality every day. I don't think about mortality existentially. I think about it, but I don't get up every day, walk out the door thinking like, I hope someone doesn't fucking kill me or I hope some animal doesn't kill me or I hope that I can kill the animal that's going to keep me alive. You know, the visceral aliveness, you know, like death is gnarly, but living is gnarly when you get right down to it. Like, what do you really have to do to stay alive and to keep the people you love alive, you know? And to me, that would be hit enough. And yeah, I was digging those trenches out for the yurt. 
and it was amazing. It was, it was like, I was first I was bitching and complaining because it was like super clayy and like it was sticking to the shovel, so I couldn't even get like a shovel full. <laughs> and then when I did get a shovel full, it was like 25 pounds. I'm leveraging out of the ground. I was like, holy shit, this is like the worst. You know, and water's getting down my jacket. And But then, you know, I kind of broke through and I was out there for almost four hours in the rain. And after a while, I just kind of got into the groove and the level of satisfaction of just digging trenches in the grounds and being out in the elements and just being and watching the water move and knowing that each shovel I made, I could sort of track how the water is moving and make my adjustments. Like I was in the zone. I was in some zone of like, this is, this is true relationship. I didn't want, I didn't like, yeah, at one point you had come down and said, Hey, come on, get some hot coffee. I was like, yeah. And then I never did because I didn't need it. Like I was so getting fed by this, the simple, simple, simple thing of like working hard with a bunch of muddy land. And that sounds ridiculous. And people listening may be like, can't really feel that. I mean, that's just how it feels to me. You know, it's, it's like, I can get that hit really quickly doing something, you know, modern, or I can live my whole life getting a little bit of that trickle of that hit every day. Cause I'm just in that mortal engagement with the land. Yeah, that I believe that reveals to me one of my greatest concerns for humanity. I don't really talk about it very much, but one of my greatest concerns is that we'll never be satisfied. I think this never being satisfied, which I associate with a lack of gratitude and therefore a lack of humility, is ultimately going to be the death of us. It might already have been. I mean, that's that's arguable, right? That that inability to be satisfied and always looking for the next peak has gotten us largely to where we are. And so one of my greatest concerns is that we won't figure out how to negotiate that. And when I look around, I mean, I look at all these online businesses and I include myself in all this too. I'm not projecting outwardly. I'm, I'm very much swimming in the river with everybody else. I wonder if we simultaneously or enough of us will realize that that's not really the pursuit. There's too many people at a growing rate for everybody to have the life that's being portrayed by a few and the pursuit of that, the chase of that, the, all of the messages and media and advertising dollars that go into making us crave that simple, luxurious life is pulling our attention away from what's already available to us. I think that's the most shocking thing to me is yeah, it took a pandemic to snap me and my wife out of our timeline, out of our coherence and our day-to-day to realize a dream that we've had ever since we met each other. And I've had long before I even met Carrie to live on land, to be able to have moments where I just send my kid out the door and he's gone for a couple hours, just playing on the grass and wandering into the trees and climbing and testing himself and, and observing it took a whole global disaster to help me realize that. So what is, what will it take? And what will it, what will we have to express to each other to remind ourselves that we actually want that? Cause I'm sure that there's some people like, hell no, I don't want to dig trenches in the rain, dude. Sorry. That's I don't want to dig trenches in the rain. <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to it. But yeah, I guess that where is that shift to something that we actually choose this? Cause we're going to have to, we're going to have to choose it. It's not just, hopefully it won't just happen. Yeah. I've been paying a lot of attention the last years to just my inner process, you know? And so, and identifying that I want to feel satisfied. I want to feel content. I want to feel connected. I want to feel in harmony. I want to feel love. You know, I want to feel all these things. And I can get those feelings by making a lot of different choices, you know? And so to me, like, if you know you can get those feelings activated within you with multiple choices, which one is going to also bring the most secure, reliable, dependable source. And to me, like the planet's been here for a billion years. Like it's not going anywhere, you know, all the technology, my relationships, all that stuff, those are always, always in flux, always in flux. But what's always true is water falls from the sky. Dirt is in the ground. Like there's, you know, a tree is never going to pretend to be a rock. You know, it's never going to try to sell you on that. I'm a rock when it's really a tree. Like there's something about the, the authenticity of nature that's reliable. We, we know where our food comes. It comes out of the ground. We know that our fresh water falls out of the sky. We know that fish come from the sea, you know, food. There's just some things that aren't going to change, in, at least in our lifetime, hopefully. 
that to me are like the, they're rock solid, dependable sources for me to get my emotional needs met. If I just decide to choose them, you know, and what that entails. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this kind of is a good opportunity to pivot into this distinction we're making between the difference between wilderness survival, which is more the bear grills, naked and afraid idea of conquering nature and wilderness preparedness that we're playing around with here. This way of building a relationship with nature that's not conquering it, that's just ready to be in relationship with it. It's like getting yourself ready for marriage, right? It's a dynamic you have to learn how to navigate, but not something you have to conquer. And so one of the things I think I've found, not that I think, I know, I know that by developing my relationships, I, I, I grew up outside a lot as a kid, but I grew up in the suburbs. So I was playing stickball, you know, pick up football with my friends at the school, but everywhere I went was walking on a sidewalk. I was riding my bike on the streets. And so it wasn't until I was in my late teens, early twenties that I, I really went on my first camping trip out in a tent, on the ground, uncomfortable. And I remember the beginning of that relationship was really, really uncomfortable and frustrating. You know, going out, we, I remember the first camping trip I ever went on was with my buddy TJ and he had done a little bit of camping. He was like a couple months ahead of me on re- getting excited about nature again. And so he took me out with him one time. We went out. It was on a day that it was a light rain. Everything was wet from a storm that came in. We get out there three miles onto some trail that he found. We were struggled to have a fire. We had like a small smoky fire and it was like 45 degrees at night. We were so uncomfortable. But waking up the next day with the sunrise after a long and uncomfortable night, I also like stabbed myself in the leg with my knife. <laughs> it, was, it was a disaster. It's embarrassing. You're like, oh my God, I'm so inept out here, which is one of the things you realize, right? Nature is so humbling when you're out there. And I think that's what drives a lot of people away from it is, oh, I don't know what to do when I'm out there. I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to begin. I've never cre- started and tended a fire outdoors in my life. And I know that's the case for a lot of people. But the reward of committing to that relationship and investing in that relationship and inviting in those hard lessons and the learning curve of what it takes to do some simple things, just gather wood, chop it up, start a fire, cook a meal, pump some water out of the spring, or even just harvest water, you know, in a healthy way, if you don't have a pump, those things translated so much into the rest of my life. When I come back to my house and I come back to my wife and my family that I never could have foresaw. I never imagined how learning how to tend a fire out in the wild would teach me how to tend the fire at home with my family. So I know what that's done for me. And I know that this is really huge for you. Sometimes it's hard to get people to see the value in that if they haven't experienced it themselves. Yeah, it is hard. I think largely because we're so surrounded by not doing it that way. You know, I was, you know, if I was, if there was some way to measure my emotional discomfort on a graph, I was probably equally as uncomfortable getting my first job at the grocery store learning to be a bag boy. Like the stress and the busyness and the hard work of bagging and taking groceries out, loading the cars and the hot days in the parking lot and, you know, clocking in for your break and clocking out to the minute so you didn't get like you know, in trouble. Like, is that really any different than having a really uncomfortable first camping trip? You know, it's just a different, it's a just, you know, the surroundings are different, you know? You know, I wouldn't even contend there's a time scale in there too of like, well, yeah, you can sit in a really nice computer chair and have a profitable computer job for 30 years and be good at what you do and slowly but surely be developing all kinds of joint issues because you're sitting all the time and not really mobile, but you're comfortable drinking sodas, fast food because you're, you know, a lot of deadlines and that kind of world we all live in. So there's that kind of physical pain that's cumulative over time and degenerative and then there's kind of physical pain, which is like immediate and uncomfortable, but actually builds your body. Like when you are, you know, chopping wood, digging dirt, hauling water, picking your food out of your garden. I mean, you name it, all the stuff that we've, our bodies were actually designed to do for thousands of years. You know, we're not really using our bodies in that same way. So we're having all these degenerative issues come up, heart disease and all these things that are really preventable with diet and exercise but we're just culturally, we're just saying, eh, let's just take some stuff we can make up and to, you know, alleviate the symptoms. So for me, it's like, yeah, it really is just getting back to as a human being, like face it, you're, if you're listening to this podcast and making sense of what's being said, you're a human being. And we weren't originally put on this earth or grew into this earth to, you know, make podcasts. I mean, we can, we do, but it wasn't, it's not really our, 
deepest programming, you know? And, and to kind of fill the other end, you know, what are we doing with all this other stuff? Well, we're getting ready to leave the planet, you know? We're getting ready to go to Mars. I mean, that's, you know, Elon Musk says in 20 years, he'll have, a, you know, somebody on Mars. And then what? And then there's this mass exodus of humanity from the planet that created it. And what does that mean? And where does, you know, my line fall between, I want to be a human who's in relationship with the planet that bore me, or do I want to be, you know, something else? That's becoming a real question. That's a deep ass question. I mean, I know what the answer is for me right off the bat, but I wonder how many people will hear this and really pause on that for a moment and just ask themselves that question. You know, would I rather fight for the planet that bore me, my mother, right? If you really want, we call it Mother Earth all the time. But if you really think that this planet and all of its minerals and parts put you together over time and developed you, you want to fight for that or do you want to trade it in for a new one? Yeah. And I really think, you know, so this was my experience moving up here. I've lived down near Los Angeles for the better part of 30 years and really love the chaparral environment. It's low, bushy, deserty. The mountains are pretty bare and there's lots of wide open vistas. I love going out to the desert, you know, Death Valley, Mojave and all that space. Like that's really kind of the terrain I've come to love and feel most identified with, you know, this is an expression of how I feel about the earth. And then I moved up here and it's super wooded and can't really see more than a mile or two in any direction. I went for a drive the other day thinking that I'd get out and see some vistas. And I was just driving through like 200 foot trees for like an hour. You know, it's just like, I, was like, I just need to see some space and so like a bare mountain. All the mountains are tree covered. It's been hard. I spent time, so much time spending it out in the relationship with the chaparral, right? And so coming here, it's like, it's just an adjustment period. And I, I love it here. It's beautiful nature too. But as far as like what's familiar and what's comfortable and what feels like a mirror of who I am, that's like a whole new game. And I feel like if you're someone who's not really in nature a lot or who's only going out for a weekend here and there, you know, glamping or something, I'm sure you're having wonderful experiences. And I knew that was going to be different for me. Intellectually, I understood that I was going to have some kind of reaction and experience around the new environments. But I didn't, I had no idea emotionally how much it was going to affect me. Like it's, it's affected me hugely. Re-identifying who I am based on the land. Just crazy. I didn't know it was going to, I didn't, even this moment, I didn't know it was going to go there. So I'm really feeling it. And my fear about our, us as a human is that, you know, we want to go to Mars and God knows where else. And I'm, I know people will, and I, I, I'm not going to judge and say it's right, wrong, good or bad, but can we, if we do leave this planet, can the first person who goes and stays somewhere else, can they take with them this wealth of connection to the planet? And somehow, you know, I don't even know really what I'm trying to say here, but there's just in the micro world of moving four hours north and how much is affecting me with the difference of the land. I can't imagine like the human organism going to a different planet. Holy fuck. And yeah, it's going to be different, but do we have the emotional body to really deal with that? Are, are we going to have to completely shut down our emotional body to contend with living on a new planet? I mean, how would, is someone's going to cope, you know? So... I just feel like we, I didn't know. I mean, I knew how much it was going to affect me, but I didn't really know until I got here. And I think most people listening have, they don't really know how much just that we're living on a planet, how much it affects them, how much nature and being out in the land can affect you or is affecting you until you really get out there and find out and uncover that, that baseline underneath everything you're doing under your life is sitting on top of the surface of this planet, on top of the four elements. It's literally everything you do. It's connected to it. You can't escape that. Even the spaceship that's going to take us to Mars is going to be built from the Earth. Yeah, man. I appreciate the emotion and authenticity you're bringing to this conversation. It's such a reflection of how I feel myself, too, you know, especially having kids and more and more kids. I just had another niece born this week, you know, nieces and nephews popping up everywhere. And man, it's never been more real about the situation that we're in for me than seeing that we're, we chose to bring children into this planet. And now I really don't know what future I'm sending them off into. And, you know, as a man, whether you have children or not, if you're somebody who cares enough about what happens tomorrow or what the world looks like when you're gone, I think it's important to recognize that it starts with the relationship that we have with what's here right now, right now. And it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. That's what I used to think. Cause I'm a man of extremes. I used to think that I had to go and do what we're doing right now, 10 years ago and learn how to hunt and garden and do all that stuff right away. That there was that level of urgency around it. 
And I think there's definitely urgency, but we're not going to get there by trying to swing the pendulum in the other direction. It's just a conscious choice to start having a new relationship with what's around us. And that you can still be half in this other world because we're going to have to be right. It's not like we can all just suddenly leave the lives that we've been conditioned into. It's going to be gradual. We're going to have to, it's, it's going to be generations worth. It's going to start with one lifetime. It's going to start with my lifetime. And then it's going to pass that on to my son, my daughter. It's going to start by creating a legacy of this relationship. And we can all right now start doing that today. Just like you said, just by maybe you take this podcast and you go and you re-listen to it while you're walking in the woods just taking in your surroundings while you hear us talking about (laughs) the topic or maybe after the podcast going and doing the same thing and just reflecting on how you feel in your internal landscape and asking yourself, is this something that I desire? Do I desire to have more of what Jetty and Sean have been talking about today? Because maybe not everybody will. And I'm in the same boat as you, man. I'm not going to judge it because what do I know? What do I, what do we know about what humanity needs and what each individual human needs? But if you are, if you do hear that and you're like, yeah, you know what? I want some more of that for myself. Just know that it's available. And we care so much about it that we're putting tremendous effort this year to develop this entire branch of Rising Man that gratefully you're going to be leading with your decades of experience in this. And so just to start to bring things to a wrap up here, I'd like to just hear you speak a little bit more about what what it can look like for guys to make this a practice, just like anything else, just like learning how to woodwork or learning a martial art or studying web design. You know, what does it look like to commit to nature connection and developing nature skills? Yeah, thanks, Jetty. I was just reflecting on a. There's a man out there named John Young, J O N Young, Y O U N G, who's done a lot of nature connection pioneering the last thirty years. You can find him. He's got a lot of stuff on the web. But one thing that came through teachers he sat with was that for learning to happen, there needs to be three components, information, danger, and mentoring or guide. And then the learning really sticks if those three things are present. You take any one of those out and it's probably not going to be retained in the, the best useful way. So what does it look like? It needs to look like those three things. You know, you can get really far by just taking yourself out on a lot of hikes, you know, but that's, there's probably not a lot of danger there, but I wouldn't take on anything dangerous without some information or someone who's guiding me through it, who knows what they're doing and vice versa for any of those other pieces. You can learn a lot about nature just by reading books and and field guides. So those three pieces are really essential. And I feel like the best way to encounter that is, you know, doing it in community. All of our indigenous ancestors were in community, all of them. That was like the whole ball of wax. Like if you weren't in a community, you weren't going to last very long at all. You know, I feel like getting out with other men on the land, regardless of what level of experience you have with being comfortable on the land, it's really just getting back to that beginner's mind, getting back to the children's mind. People say that a lot of indigenous people act very childlike and that's kind of looked down upon a little bit. At least it has been kind of traditionally. I I think anthropologically speaking, people understand better what that means now. But this idea that life is simple, life is simple. You just got to stay alive and and make sure the people you love stay alive with utilizing as much as your wits around you and as much experience as you can muster. So just doing that together and being in a way that we're all exposing ourselves to some sense of danger, some sense of information, some sense of guidance, and doing that the way our ancestors did in community, to me is like the best way to do it because that's how it was done for millions of years. So why try to reinvent the wheel, you know? So that's, and I find that true for myself too. Like I go out in nature all the time on my own, but even if I go walking with a friend or do something with a friend or do a workshop for myself, like it's the experience is so much more robust because all these pieces are there present. Yeah. (laughs) And when it really comes down to it, I was just thinking about it in my head at this point, probably somewhere anywhere between 10 and 15 times a year. I'm going on some sort of adventure with a bunch of guys, sometimes guys that I'm really close to, some guys, times guys I don't know that well, where I'm sleeping out under the stars and my phone doesn't have reception. And it's led to a really good life for me. I know every time I do it, it's like a reset. So just that alone, that baseline, getting away from everything, putting a bunch of stuff down that normally stresses me out and just being out there, the timelessness of it. But then everything else on top of that, the conversations that are available when it's not just a 30 minute call, catch up with my buddy, but we're three days out in the middle of nowhere 
the depth that we go to, the the challenges that arise when we get lost and the map isn't what we thought it was going to be. And when it's colder than we thought or a sudden, you know, micro storm rolls in and half the guys weren't prepared, the things that come up like that, it's just it's irreplaceable. You can't draw that stuff up. And I know it's just given me so much in my life. So I know we're both really excited to relaunch Elements, which is something that we created a couple of years ago, right before Compass, actually. It was in tandem with Compass. And for one reason or another, it just felt like it wasn't the right time to really drive it forward. But now, just with how urgent this conversation is and how how many guys out there have been asking us for this, I'm stoked. I'm excited to relaunch it. We're going to be doing our first one the first weekend in March, March 5th, 6th, and 7th here in California. We'll definitely be putting information to all of that up in the show notes, but I want to hear you just speak a little bit to what that is and what guys can expect for the time that we'll be out there together. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited about it too, because one of my deepest dreams is to have friends and brothers who are, and sisters eventually, I have some already, who are experiencing and engaging with the land and the planet in the same way that I do. You know, I long for that. And so, yeah, let's get out there and basically live the way our ancestors did for a few days. Take our whatever level we have of experience and skill or none at all and just show up and rely. You know, I feel like this is one of the best opportunities to really understand what does what does raw, unadulterated, pure brotherhood really look like? Brotherhood that our ancestors had, where they had to have each other's backs, like literally have each other's backs. We do that now in our modern sense. But, you know, if you don't get a brother's back, there's usually someone else who will, or maybe this situation isn't like life or death is so extreme. But to really just dive into like, what does it look like when, when a brother's having a breakdown in the middle of nowhere because they forgot their rain gear and it's pouring rain? Like, what do you, how do you support that man? You know, how do you let yourself be supportable when you're just completely feeling humiliated and, and lost, you know? So I just, I look forward to that discomfort because to me, that's, it's just re-breaking a bone that broke a long time ago didn't set right, you know? And it needs to be broken, it needs to be set right so it can be strong and functional again. So to get with men out there in the land and to move across the landscape and to do our best to to forage and, and make fire from scratch and to find our water sources and to watching the wildlife and understanding how the land works and why it works and our part on it. Like we're, you know, again, we're not, well, some think we're aliens. Maybe we have some alien component, but Nonetheless, we are deeply integrated into this planet as a species. We belong here. So what better way to remember that than to go out into an environment, into the wilderness and say hello and reintroduce ourselves to Mother Earth in that way and to rebuild that relationship. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so, even just talking about it right now, it's just having visions of what it'll be like to be out on the landscape with a bunch of guys from all over and all the things that we have drawn up for what we want to do and the things that we can't anticipate that are waiting for us out there. I'm really stoked, man. Excited to be doing that work in another capacity with you. Again, guys, March 5th, 6th, and 7th, we're going to be rolling out there. We'll have all the information available for you guys at risingman.org. And of course, in the show notes, just check it out, Elements. It'll be risingman.org slash elements. You know, one one thing I know guys are going to count themselves out on right off the bat is I don't go outside. I've never been on a camp. I haven't been camping since I was in college and that was out of the back of my, you know, forerunner or something like that. And I'll just say, just get that out of your mind. You know, we, we I remember we, we took a guy out for his first experience of sleeping on the ground outdoors was fasting for four days by himself. So if he could do that, then, you know, this is really available for any level of experience, any level of comfort or discomfort with the elements and with nature. It's we're really making it available because we care most about guys having that opportunity to get out there, to challenge themselves, to be challenged and to deepen their relationship with what's available, with what's already waiting out there, just outside your door. Yeah, come with your humility. That's a prerequisite. You got to show up with humility from the get-go. Everybody, myself included. I don't know everything there is to know about living out there, you know, and shit happens. I might break my arm, then what? Who's going to make the fire then, you know? This really is an opportunity to just come with your pure humanity, no pretenses. We're all beginners, beginner's mind every day, every time because nature always shows up differently. And so what better way to get comfortable in that way with being okay with that? Just being present to what is and just saying, I don't know, we'll figure it out with my brothers. Agreed, man. 
Very, very cool. Well, as always, thank you again for bringing your well of wisdom here. I'm grateful to have you here on the land and just the moments that we have to work collaboratively. We got to show people more about how we're living out here. It's pretty damn good, you know, to be, <laughs> despite digging trenches and dealing with seven days of straight rain, it's pretty great to work collaboratively and share meals together and that's probably a whole nother podcast episode that we'll do. Uh, yeah, we should, because again, just tracking it from the way I was living, which wasn't bad. I had everything I needed, but just the level of satisfaction I have on a day-to-day level is like 100% higher than it was you know, prior to that. And I thought my day-to-day satisfaction was pretty good. So there is a something that just has to be experienced. You just have to experience it to understand it. There you go. Well, people will be hearing more from you in the coming future. But for now, Sean, send you off, man. Really appreciate you, brother. Love you, brother. And yeah, thanks for bringing everything today. All right, fam, there you have it. Make sure you go to risingman.org slash elements to go check out elements and get signed up for our first venture out into the wild together, March 5th through 7th. So excited to see you guys out there. I can't wait to get this team of men together. I can feel it already. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to us and check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. Shout out to the Power Squad, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Kyle. Thank you guys for everything you do. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.